the last time we will be at the well of Samaria. I thought we had finished uh, when we were here before, but the Lord has given me one extra message for us. And we looked last time at this Samaritan woman who is, by the end of the conversation that Jesus has with her, soundly converted. That's what we concentrated on last time. Are you soundly converted? It's not just head knowledge, but it's the whole person believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, she's a contagious witness. Are we contagious in our sharing of the gospel? And she, in the words of Spurgeon, is actually holding a mission now, isn't she? In Sechar. It wasn't planned. Uh, thank God we are planning to have a mission with Roger Carswell again in September. And it's right for us to plan. I'm not saying anything against that. But there is something wonderful happening here. A spontaneous mission uh, by one person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ. So she forgets her water pots and she, I can imagine, her runs to the city and she just bears witness to what Jesus Christ has done to her. And many of the Samaritans believe in the Savior through her word. We'll come to that in a minute. And then as a result of that, they then come to Jesus Christ to see for themselves who this wonderful person is. And for two whole days, Jesus teaches them. What a conference. Would you have liked to have been there? You didn't even have to pay to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And then, this is the ripple effect. We start with the conversation between Jesus and a woman. A very ordinary conversation. Jesus turns it around towards spiritual things. The living water that he is offering. And then this woman comes to faith. One conversion. She goes to the city Many are converted. They all come back to the well and two days with Jesus Christ, even more are converted. What a harvest. The ripple effect of God's grace. I think uh, some of you experienced that in this church a few decades ago. It was nothing to do with Mr. Hyam. It was God using his servants. And don't you long for that to happen again? A harvest, not just any harvest, but a bumper harvest. Don't you long for that? We don't have a harvest service in our church because we're an urban church. We don't grow things in the fields. We get them from Tesco's. But we have spiritual harvests, don't we? And may we have a bumper harvest. So I just want to concentrate this morning on one word, one word, witness, witness. This is what this woman is. Uh, I uh, have too many verses here. Uh, if we were to choose the verses with the word witness or testify in them, uh, look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman who testified, who witnessed We've seen this not just with this woman of Samaria, but 
early on in John's Gospel, what was John the Baptist doing? Yes, he was preaching, but what else was he doing? He was witnessing to the lights. And then a little later, what do we find Andrew doing after he believed? Like this woman, what did he do? He didn't keep quiet. He witnessed to his brother. Who was Andrew's brother? A certain Simon Peter. Heard of him? Simon Peter wouldn't have been converted and become the Apostle Peter unless Andrew, little-known Andrew, behind the scenes, would have said to him, Come, we have found the Messiah. If you're a true Christian here this morning, you're going to be a witness. You don't have to go to Bible college to learn how to witness. Let, let me use this illustration. When I was in school, uh, we did in GCSE history, crime and punishments. It was the best part of history, crime and punishments. And we had a day trip to Merthyr, uh, to the Crown, well, it's not Crown Court, is it in Merthyr? Is it Crown Court? It is Crown Court. And we were able to sit in uh, the Crown Court to see a case. My first and only time. And it was fascinating uh, seeing uh, the uh, defence and the prosecution argue their case. They were not witnessing, they were being advocates. So they were convincing you, after hearing the defence, you were convinced the person was not guilty. But then you heard the prosecution and you were just as convinced that he was guilty. Because they were so brilliant at arguing their case. Thank God he's not calling us to be advocates. Now, some people are gifted in that area. But a witness isn't an advocate. We're not here to win arguments. We're here just to bear witness to what Jesus Christ has done to us. As Fanny Crosby said, this is my story What's your story? You may not have a Damascus Road experience, but surely if you're a real Christian, you've got something to tell people, haven't you? Now, let's look at the witness of this woman, and I've just got three things. I'll try and hurry through these three points, and maybe we'll warm up as we go through them. The first is her witness encourages Jesus Christ. Wow. Can my witness encourage not just the pastors and elders, but encourage Jesus Christ? When the disciples come, the woman has just left and she's gone to be a witness to the Samaritans. They bring the conversation back down to earth, don't they? <laughs> the woman is more spiritual than the disciples. And they urge Jesus Christ to eat. Rabbi, eat. Verse 31. And then this is what he says. This is what I mean by the conversation that Jesus has had with a woman. So Jesus is witnessing to the woman to begin with. Then the fact that she's saved and that she has automatically become a witness to him. It has had this effect on him. I have food to eat of which you do not know. I may be physically hungry, but I've forgotten about my hunger pangs because I've been so thrilled with this spiritual feast. 
Uh, I remember many years ago going with a friend to the Isle of Lewis. We'd heard about the revivals there, so we were looking forward going to the big Presbyterian church there. And the student was preaching in the morning, and it was a good sermon, but there was nowhere for us to eat because all the shops were shut. And we thought it's the biggest church in the country, so we're bound to get an invitation. We didn't. So we went back to the guest house with rumbling stomachs. We didn't have anything to eat all day. It was a miserable Sunday for us. We thought we would have experienced some great blessing there. And then in the evening service, the pastor, Kenny Stewart, was preaching. And I can remember the sermon now. It was the crossing of the Red Sea. I forgot my physical hunger because there was spiritual food. Now multiply that by infinity, and this is what Jesus Christ is saying here. I've got food to eat you don't know about. Poor disciples, they were still thinking physically, weren't they? In Welsh, we've got a hymn based on this whole uh, uh, history of the well of Samaria. A gwrwrth for non Jacob, the man at the well of Jacob. And it's a wonderful hymn. It's written by Thomas William, who lived in the Vale of Glamorgan. And it talks about Roedd Sached Arno Yno Am Gael Ei Jesus Christ had a spiritual thirst to see people saved in Samaria. And then it ends, my sached arno eto am gailachib llawer mwy. He still got that thirst Jesus has to save many more. Now we let him down, don't we? Those of us who are preachers maybe especially. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ in heaven at this very moment has got a greater burden for you a salvation than we will ever have. And so we encourage him when we talk about him. And if you're not a believer, there is rejoicing in heaven over one person who repents, even if there isn't rejoicing on earth. Oh, listen to the words of Jesus Christ here. I find it warms my heart. Uh, when you hear what he's saying to these poor disciples, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. And then he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's a weak translation. Not to finish, but to complete, to accomplish the work of salvation. My friend, the thirst that Jesus Christ had for the salvation of souls, it wasn't just something uh, haphazard. Jesus Christ knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what he was doing in taking the detour to Samaria. He was going there after one lost sheep. Jesus Christ knew what he was doing when he left the courts of glory and came down, as we will be remembering at Christmas, and became a helpless babe and then grew up in Nazareth and then started his public ministry. He knew that he would only minister for three years and he knew towards the end of that ministry that he had to go to Jerusalem. He set his face, didn't he, as a flint 
toward Jerusalem and nothing was going to stop him. He knew he had to go to that city, not to be uh, lauded, but to be sacrificed. The Lamb of God taking the sins of God's people. Uh, It is finished. That was the thing, the climactic moment of the work of Jesus Christ, the mission that his Father gave him to do, to be a substitute for you and for me. He accomplished the work. Praise the Lord. He doesn't need a plan B because he's done what he was called to do. Unlike our COVID plans, God's plan for saving lost humanity is accomplished. Aren't you glad? What is faith? I know I'm talking about encouraging Jesus Christ in our witness, but you will encourage him by believing in him. What is faith? Resting in Jesus' finished work. There's something horrible, isn't there, about pride of man, human glory. It's so subtle, even as those who profess to be believers, we still want to cling on to something. What is faith? Faith is abandoning self-righteousness and depending solely on Jesus' perfect life and atoning death. The priority of Jesus Christ, he's forgotten about his physical needs because there's a spiritual need which is greater. What are your priorities? What did we sing in the hymn before the sermon? Teach me, Saviour, teach me the value of a rugby match. I think there was a rugby match yesterday. A football match. I'm a nominal supporter of Everton. They're doing better. Mountains, I enjoy going up them. Houses. Family, pleasure, no, the value of a soul. You're an immortal soul, whoever you are. I don't know all of you, but I know enough about myself to know that you and I have something that's never going to die. And that needs to be saved. And that's what Jesus Christ has come to do. And that's what we're bearing witness to. You know, in uh, Jesus' day, there were big events going on in history. Uh, Augustus was Caesar, the greatest of the Caesars. Only mentioned in a few sentences in the Bible. The Bible, as it were, isn't interested in the great and the good of the world. It just focuses on this group of people, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, only a small nation, and a stiff-necked people at that. That's how God describes them. And then here in the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, coming from Nazareth. Can any good thing come from that part of the world? And in this chapter, which has one of the most sublime conversations that Jesus ever has, it takes place between Jesus and an adulterous woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman 
in Bible times, they were second-class citizens. This is what the priority of God is. One soul is more important than the whole world. What profits you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Have you got a burden for your own soul? And if you have come to Jesus Christ and known salvation, have you got a burden for the souls of people round about you? William Carey, like me, was a geography teacher. Did you know that? Before he went to India as a missionary, he was a geography teacher. And he would teach the children the different countries of the world on the globe that he had. And as you would describe countries like India, where there was no gospel witness, tears would be streaming down his eyes because he had a burden. Have you read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters? Screwtape is a senior devil, and he's writing to Wormwood, the junior devil, to tell him how to get people. And Lewis was writing during the Second World War. And Screwtape tells Wormwood, now what we must do is make sure that people don't think about death and uh, their souls and what comes after during a time of war. We must make sure that people are just full of hatred, full of division, full of bitterness. That's what the devil wants. But what God wants is for you to think about the big things. Where am I going? Not just what am I going to get at the end of my studies. Uh, am I going to have a good job? Uh, whom am I going to marry? Oh, my friend, you must think about those things. But ultimately, they are all going to go away. You can't take them with you when you die. But you've got a soul that needs to be saved. Have you ever thought about your soul? And this is what gives Jesus Christ, if I can put it like this, great satisfaction to see a soul saved. One person saved. I once asked Mr. Hyam, uh, how, can, how can you pastor such a great people, such a number of people? And he said, the concern for one, one. So this is my first point. You will encourage Jesus Christ because these are the things that are important to him. If you come to believe in him, if you are burdened for your soul, and then if you are burdened for those around you. There's something quite remarkable, isn't there? Jesus is physically weak, but he's spiritually strong. Paul, a little later, Paul was he wasn't like uh, one of these uh, dynamic personalities, you know. Paul had a big nose, so he wasn't very uh, photogenic. He was short, uh, and he had an eye condition. So he wasn't much to look at. But he said, and God put a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was. It was probably a debilitating condition. And Paul thought, if only I didn't have this, then I could fly. But God said, no. You've got to learn that my grace is sufficient. And what did Paul say? When I am weak, he didn't just say it, he boasted in it, didn't he? When I am weak, then am I strong. Um, somebody said to me at the door, let's pray that it's quiet tonight with all the fireworks going off. I said, yes, but let's pray that there'll be fireworks in the pulpits. <laughs> Do you want fireworks in the pulpit? 
Yes. Holy Spirit, fire. And I'm reminded how often it's in human weakness that God's power is made known. Uh, I read about John Knox the other day. Uh, he would be cancelled today, wouldn't he, John Knox? Well, he was a great reformer up in Scotland many centuries ago. And towards the end, he was a frail old man and he needed help to go up the pulpit steps. And when he was in the pulpit, have you seen some of those Scottish pulpits? They're so high up, aren't they? And poor Knox had to balance himself in the pulpit. He was so frail. And then this is what we're told. When he began to preach, his voice, at first very weak, would gain the power of a trumpet call and he was likely to ding the pulpit into blads. What does that mean? It means fireworks. It means to break it into little splinters because of the power of God. So the witness of this woman encourages, mightily encourages Jesus Christ. And then secondly, her witness not just encourages the Savior, but encourages the Samaritans, doesn't it? That's obvious. Because as a result of her witness, many of them believed. Now, the word that's used is very significant. Uh, verse 39 again. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him for the saying. Now, a better word there is talk. An even better word, gossip. So many of the Samaritans believed because of the gossip of this woman. Isn't that a good word to describe witness? You don't have to learn how to gossip, do you? It just comes. Uh, this is J.C. Ryle. There was nothing remarkable in the woman's word. It contained no elaborate reasoning, no striking eloquence, only a hearty, earnest testimony of a believing heart. God can make the weakest instruments powerful to pull down the strongholds of sin and Satan, just as he made David's sling and stone prevail over Goliath. David tried Saul's armor and he said, these are not working. Give me something simple. And uh, alas, today we're using Saul's armor, we're using complicated arguments, human gimmicks. We need to get rid of the armor and use the sling and stones that God has provided. Simple witnessing, direct preaching. Isn't, isn't this again what the Holy Spirit uses? Uh, weren't you stirred in the film on... Uh, Thursday night last week. Uh, what a brilliant film, Welsh Awakening. If you haven't seen it, make sure that you watch it. It's well done. Sometimes Christian things can be cringy. This is not. And the way that we were told that it was weak people, not just weak preachers, but weak men, weak women, that God used. The preaching in times of revival wasn't... Uh, Word perfect, it wasn't eloquent in the human sense. It was often plain, direct. But there was another using the word, the Holy Spirit. And this is what is happening in Samaria. You can imagine, can't you, the men of Samaria, especially the men saying, who is this woman? We know her. She is the unfaithful adulteress. And yet, God used the word. And she had no theological training. The broken words of such a person to save many. He can use you. He can use me. Remember Spurgeon practicing the acoustics in the Surrey Gardens Music Hall? 
before the service. All he did was speak out, Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. And unbeknown to Spurgeon, there was a workman still in the building. And that workman was converted. Sunday school teachers, youth workers, door to door, open air. Don't think that your labor is in vain if it's in the Lord. What's happening in Samaria? We are just skimming the surface here. They had a harvest, a spiritual harvest. What do we call a spiritual harvest? We call it a revival. A revival isn't something that man organizes. Just as we don't organize a harvest, it comes from God. A spiritual harvest of souls. And we don't have to wait to uh, witness. Uh, we, we, we don't have to wait till we have a harvest, a revival. We can witness now. I was in Lampeter last Sunday, and uh, there was a woman there who used to work as a receptionist in the surgery in Lampeter. And the number of people that came to the church through her witness. So she wasn't preaching. I think she'd make a good preacher, but... She wasn't preaching. She was just witnessing in conversation. How unlikely to find the whole town of Sechar coming to believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know why this has been put where it is, this history of the woman at the well of Samaria? It's surrounded by uh, Jewish people, Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, and then a little later on, Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And these people who were so privileged, the Jews, they had the whole of the Scripture the Old Testament in their time. Uh, they worshipped in the right way. They were sound. They had Jesus with them for three years, ministering to the gospel, and yet how little fruit there was. And in two days, you see many of the Samaritans coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and they didn't witness Jesus' miracles, did they? They just had at first the word of this woman, and yet they came to believe what I'm trying to say is God uses the unlikeliest of people, this woman, and God saves the unlikeliest of people as well. Um, I'm reminded of what uh, somebody said to John Wesley. John Wesley traveled thousands and thousands of miles on horseback preaching the gospel. And many of those men preached in the open air, not because they wanted to preach in the open air, but because there wasn't enough space in the churches. Imagine if we had that problem. If this building was too small, if St. David's Hall was too small, if the Millennium Stadium was too small, that's what would happen if there was a revival again in Cardiff. When it happened in the 18th and the 19th centuries, the population was much less than today. But when you think of the proportion of the population that believed in Jesus Christ, we would see it on an even greater magnitude. And Wesley was uh, told by somebody... He said, I'm going to preach in Newcastle, Newcastle upon Tyne. I hope there's nobody here from Newcastle, right? 
because somebody said to Wesley, why do you want to preach in Newcastle? It's a wicked city. Wicked in the old sense of the word. It's a wicked city. Why do you want to preach in Newcastle? And Wesley said, that's why I want to preach in Newcastle. Because they need to hear the gospel. Isn't Cardiff a wicked city? It's a beautiful city, but spiritually, it's a desert. It's morally wicked. But this is why we have the gospel. I saw a Korean in Lampeter last Sunday, and we were talking about how the gospel first came to Korea. Do you know the story? From Abergavenny. That's why Koreans in this country always go to Abergavenny. They want to see John Thomas's uh, birthplace. John Thomas from Abergavenny. Well, from Llanover, near Abergavenny. He sailed all the way to Korea. And he was going as a missionary, like this woman. He was a witness. And he, he was soon killed, wasn't he? And we would think, well, that's it then when it comes to the witness of the gospel in Korea. But no, God works in human weakness. If the seed is to grow, what has to happen to the seed? It's got to die. It's through dying that we live. And John Thomas's death caused the harvest in Korea. The ship, which he had Bibles on, sank. And uh, one of the government officials, I think I've got it right, he took some of the Bibles from the ship and used them to wallpaper his walls. What an insult to God. But God works in wondrous ways. And this government official was saved because he would be reading the verses. <laughs> and the gospel came to Korea. And South Korea today is one of the places where the gospel has seen some of the greatest spiritual successes. So let, let's hurry to the last point, the third point, if I've got time. Her witness is, encourages us as well, doesn't it? I've been trying to encourage us throughout this message. But look at what the Samaritans say. So the Samaritans believe on the word of the woman, and then they all go towards Jesus Christ. Jesus, I think, looks at the Samaritans coming, they're wearing white cloaks. Maybe they're wearing white headgear. And what is Jesus saying? The fields are white unto harvest. He's not talking about physical crops, but about the harvest of souls. And the Samaritans stay with Jesus for two days. They ask him to stay. They've got a mission, haven't they? They've got a conference. And then... Afterwards, they say to the woman, for we have believed him for ourselves. Not just from you, but we've believed him for ourselves and know that he's the Christ, the saviour of. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all they said was he's not just the saviour of the Jews, we know that, he's the saviour of Samaritans. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But they go beyond that. They say, he's the saviour of the world. And that's why it encourages you and me, my friends. Because that's why we are believers. And if you're not, that's why you're hearing the gospel. This is the clearest statement in all the gospels about the fact that Jesus is the saviour of the world. And it's coming from Samaritans. Amazing grace. 
What a missionary vision. You know, this gospel, you may think from some of the examples that I give that uh, I'm limiting the gospel to Welsh people. I'm not. I'm Welsh, as you've guessed. But this gospel isn't just for Welsh people. Uh, Some people think that this country used to be a Christian country, the United Kingdom. Well, we were blessed by the gospel. But this gospel, Christianity, isn't just something for uh, Britain or the West. These islands were full of pagan rituals before the gospel came. And we're going back that way, aren't we? This gospel isn't a cultural preference. Those of you who are from overseas, this gospel is for all nations. No one is born a Christian. You may have the privilege of being born in a Christian home, but you must still become a believer. So this gospel is for every single individual, for every single nation. So you will have Iranians that uh, believe in Jesus Christ and then they become Christians, even though their culture would mean that it's not Christianity. You would have Hindus believe in Jesus Christ, and then instead of having a multiplicity of gods, they would have one God, Jesus Christ. You will have people in nominal chapel, like I was, and realize that religion doesn't save. It has to be a real person, a savior who does the work, And then we believe in Jesus Christ. My friends, where else will we hear this gospel? But those who have believed in it and experienced it. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God. There is no other Lamb. There's a hymn, isn't there? None other Lamb. None other name. None other hope in heaven or earth or sea. No other hiding place from guilt and shame. None beside thee. If people don't hear the gospel in the church, where are they going to hear it? They're not going to hear it in schools. Definitely not now. They're not going to hear it by politicians. They're not going to hear it in any other place. It doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter what ism you believe in. It doesn't matter what your system, your worldview is. It's only Jesus Christ. There is only one name given amongst men through whom we must be saved. Do you see that? I know of no other system that talks about God becoming one of us. I know of no other system that talks about God dying for our sins. So let me conclude. Are you a believer? If not, why not? These Samaritans, with far less privileges than you, believed Jesus on the words of a disreputable character. She was saved, yeah, but what they remembered of her was different. There are people here this morning, it may be you, you've heard the gospel Sunday after Sunday, in Sunday school, in youth meetings, in special events. 
you've got parents, maybe you've got friends who are real Christians and you've seen the reality of their faith over many years and you still haven't believed. Why not? Come. Come. They'll be rejoicing in heaven and I hope they will be rejoicing here as well. And those of us who have believed, I'm preaching to myself here. How long? How long have you believed for? Years? Months? Decades? Bear witness. This is my story. You've got something to tell people. Come and see what God has done for me. I don't deserve it. When we asked the Moldovans to give their testimony, they didn't do it as we do it. They didn't talk about how they became a Christian. They just talked about how Jesus Christ had helped them the last few weeks. I like that. Hasn't God been good to us these last few weeks? And it's still a time of sowing, isn't it? We, we are living in times of sowing. Uh, this land saw revivals in the 18th and 19th century. The last big revival was 0405. There was a spiritual harvest in the 50s and the 60s. This church and other churches experienced it. But really, we have entered into the labors of others in that regard. And since then, it's just been sowing times. There have still been those saved, praise God. But oh, don't you long for another bumper harvest? Don't you? Are you praying for it? The verse in the Psalms comes to mind. They that sow in tears. Are you sowing in tears? How long, Lord? Let us not despise sowing times. That's all we are doing. We can't give the increase. We sow the seed of the gospel. And maybe not in our lifetime, but others will enter then into the harvest. Praise God, we're part of a long chain going back hundreds of years. It's all the same work. It's all the same work in terms of time, in terms of geography. We're not competing with other churches. I rejoice that there is a church, Highfields down the road, that preaches the same gospel. I rejoice that they have planted a new work in Penarth. We're not competing with them. Give me any gospel church in this city and I rejoice, even if they're different to us, because we're all involved in the sowing. But may God send those showers. We've had some showers recently, haven't we? I got caught in one the other day, jogging. I got drenched. May we get drenched with showers of blessing. For his name's sake. Let's sing to close. It's number 465. This talks about Jesus marching, but it's the same as a spiritual harvest. Onward march, all conquering Jesus. Uh, there are some very keen to start singing up in the gallery there. So let's sing his praises. 465.
Father in heaven, we praise thee that we're marching home, uh, not uh, to Andy and Jill's farm, but to our eternal heavenly home. And that we're not marching alone, that a myriad from all over the world, we praise thee for a missionary church, a missionary vision, and that it's one mission, whether here or overseas. Lord, in these sowing times, help us to keep on keeping on. And Lord, if there be any here who are still outside of the kingdom, bring them into Christ, even today. And Lord, if it pleases thee, give us a spiritual harvest in due time. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.